Welcome to Life Family Liberty. I'm your host, Jonathan Keller. We're trying something a little different today. Normally, we are in the studios of Talk Radio 1680 AM, if I can even say the call numbers right. Um, But instead, today, we are on location live in the studios of Right to Life of Central California. Hey, hey, hey. There you go. Um, If you are watching live on Facebook, um, you see John is dressed for radio, as am I. There you go. Um, John has his Fighting Irish of Notre Dame hat on. There you go. Even though... Even though they are not, the Fighting Irish are sadly not in the the big dance or the. Well, it's all right. It's all right. We, you know, I'll, I'll, if we can keep making the college football playoff every year, I'm, I'm fine with the basketball team not being any good. So I will tell you, John. We'll be back next year. Will be better. Our, our favorite. Got a lot of young players. Our favorite Notre Dame Twitter alum, uh, Alexander DeSanctis. Um, she actually went to real Notre Dame, not Notre Dame Twitter. That's so, true. Yeah. That's true. Our favorite person from whom Notre we Dame. follow on Twitter, who no- is also a Notre Dame graduate. Notre Dame graduate who is um, on point on Twitter said, I am here to say that while my March Madness bracket may be in shambles, I did at least pick UC Irvine to upset Kansas State. And, and that is because I picked UC Irvine to win my entire bracket. And that is because their mascot is Peter the Anteater. Peter the Anteater. I, I, one of our dear family friends was played center on the UC Irvine women's basketball team. Really? Yeah. Wow. Our, our friend Joanna Usher, uh, now Joanna Murphy. She was six foot four. Married a guy who was six foot eight. Wow. They have very tall babies. <laughs> that is impressive. You know, John, for a minute, I, I actually thought about making a disparaging comment about um, women's basketball. And then I and then I remembered Tucker Carlson and I said, you know, you know, maybe I should just uh, maybe Not I should just keep that. that to myself. There you go. So there if you, you are from Media Matters for America, um, you should know that the better angels of my nature prevented me from doing yeah, that. Yeah, but so. you wanted to say something. Yeah, bad that's true. There. That's true. All yeah. of us are tempted. All of us are tempted there sometimes. You go. So there you go. anyway, folks, so you might be wondering if you're watching on Facebook Live, the title of this uh this stream is believe it or not, there actually is collusion. Well, wait a minute. I thought I thought you saw on the news that the special counsel report came back and no collusion, no obstruction, keep America great. That was President Trump's tweet yesterday. Well yes. Um Special Counsel Robert Mueller, the paragon of virtue until yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, now he's a cover-up artist. The, the knight in shining armor until yesterday. The only last honest man in Washington yes. until yesterday is what you would hear if you believed the Democrats and the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Um, John, I, I think we need to give maybe a 10,000-foot view, even though this is a little bit bigger than the normal bounds of... Uh, life, family, liberty. We normally talk about those issues, the sanctity of human life, God's design for the family, and religious liberty. But in this case, I mean, this is kind of the biggest story in the last two years, so I feel like we at least kind of have to talk about it a little bit. So what what is the the gist, the takeaway, the, the Cliff's Notes the, of the Mueller report? I think the takeaway is that this was an investigation that probably didn't need to happen in the form in which it happened. I think that it's... The takeaway is that the media—it's it, the greatest example of media bias and how media. I, I mean, obviously, media drives the news, but media drives the news, not the news driving the news. It's not facts driving the news. It's not what is actually important driving the news. It's what the media selects and sort of, you know, caters to us. Is that's what drives the news. I, I saw and, a report the other day. Well, not a report. A, a quote the other day that says, "Remember, they call it news, not truth." Yeah, exactly. And and the the idea that 
basically you have every member of the media that are not every member, a vast, vast, vast majority of the media is Democrat is a Democrat, like like in their personal lives, in terms of how they donate to candidates. There's study after study after study that demonstrates the political leanings of most members of the mainstream press are very, very liberal in their orientation. And they were as bummed out about President Trump getting elected as we would have been, you know, as I would have been in my personal capacity, you know, as I was in my personal capacity when President Obama was elected in 20, in 2008 and 2012. Now, John, you might say, come on, you know, how, how bad can this bias really be? I mean, surely the media represents, you know, a, it's a representative sample of a cross-section of most Americans, right? Right. It absolutely is not. (laughs) I mean, there, there are whole newsrooms that don't have a single person who's a registered Republican. Well, John, there are whole newsrooms that don't have a single person who even voted for President Trump. And, but that kind of just, group think, I think it puts blinders on you as regards certain facts that are inconvenient to a storyline or a narrative you're trying to construct. It causes you not to investigate down certain avenues that might lead to places you don't want it to. And it forces you to lead down certain avenues that otherwise you'd think is a de- are dead ends. And that's sort of the story of this whole Mueller investigation. Um this was supposed to be an investigation into Russian interference in a presidential election. And it was supposed to be a counterintelligence investigation. And everyone in the media was convinced just because they don't like President Trump and they think President Trump's a bad guy that he must have done something illegal and worked with Vladimir Putin and that he's a Russian stooge. And... There was no evidence of there was no evidence of those specific claims at the outset. And there is still, after two years and gazillions of dollars and however many lawyers and FBI agents and everything that Robert Mueller's been doing for two straight years, the conclusion is that no. None of those accusations were true. None of them were justified. And even now there's tons of spin on it, uh, where you have all these media people say, well, it, He's not exonerated. He's just. But John, that's the that's the job of a prosecutor, right? Because you you did work both at a a district attorney's office and then you worked for a, a private bit. law firm. So yes. the role of the prosecutor is to provide complete exoneration to a client, right? Right, right, right. No, that is not the job. Uh, in a criminal trial, the there your only options are you're found guilty or not guilty. No one is proven innocent. You're just. Found not to be guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, A prosecutor's job is not to say that this person is completely and 100% exonerated and has never done a bad thing. No, you're not trying to find positive evidence to demonstrate someone's innocence. You're trying to collect evidence of guilt. And you either collect that evidence or you don't. Uh, You're not saying that someone's innocent. You're just saying, I can't find any evidence. To say, after two years... 500 people interviewed, however many subpoenas issued, however, you know, 40 FBI agents, 19 lawyers, all working on this case for two years. And they didn't find any evidence of illegally conspiring with the Russian, with Russians or with the Russian government to unlawfully influence the election. 
They didn't find any evidence of that. And it seems like they didn't find any evidence of... They did not find sufficient evidence to support a charge of obstruction of justice against the president either. So, based on all that, uh, or at the very least, Mueller did not recommend a, any uh, prosecution or indictment or anything as it relates to obstruction of justice. So, after all of this, we came out with a big, fat, nothing burger. Goose egg. A big goose egg. And it makes President Trump's attitude towards this whole thing that he's had for two years, which is that this is a witch hunt. This is, a, I mean, kind of proves his point. Pretty I mean, much. Like, like, you know, and everyone in the media just, oh, you're, oh how, how could he? Oh, he's, he's just... Just bloviating, calling this a witch hunt. How? What a big exaggeration! He's, he's just so and, like. And like, they all actually, John. The thing that blows my mind is they actually tried to use evidence of President Trump tweeting that it was a witch hunt. That itself was obstruction of justice. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, even though he never actually did anything at any point to actually obstruct the investigation, even firing James Comey, which was the initial thing that got the special prosecutor appointed. Uh, the Russia investigation was not stopped in any way by the firing of James Comey. Um, so the whole thing is, I mean, the media has such tremendous power that it was their breathless, hyperventilating reporting on all of this, which led to a special prosecutor being appointed by Robert, by Rod Rosenstein, who, who never should have appointed, I believe, a special counsel in the first place. Um just based on, you know, the whole legal scenario around a special counsel. Um, and it really, I think the th this is something I've been saying throughout this investigation that, that I don't think people understood. The investigation, as it related to President Trump and his campaign, was did President Trump or anyone in his campaign not, the question was not did they ever talk with someone from Russia. The right. question was did they conspire to commit an unlawful action as it related to the hacking of Democratic servers, hacking Hillary Clinton's servers, and illegally disseminating that information through intermediaries like WikiLeaks. That was the actual thing. You can talk to Russians all you want if you're a presidential campaign. Heck, you can try to get dirt from foreign powers on your opponents, which is precisely what Hillary Clinton did with the Steele dossier. It's gross, it's icky, but it's not illegal. Uh, so collusion is kept being thrown around like it was this legal term of art. Yes. Like it has this specific meaning. It, it, it's not. It, it's this sort of, it's a very general word that just means sort of interacting with foreign powers. Specifically the investigation, it's, it's, so it isn't illegal to collude per se. The investigation was focusing on were they colluding to commit unlawful acts? Was there a criminal conspiracy to commit other unlawful acts. And after two years of investigating, there was not a single shred of evidence that came out demonstrating it. So, yes, it's not an exoneration in the sense that no prosecutor provides the evidence of, I've, I've demonstrated beyond a reasonable doubt that this person I was investigating is actually completely innocent. All, it's not an exoneration. We're just saying that after two years of exhaustive investigation, we didn't There's, find any evidence. So I want to read you the, the words of a former U.S. attorney and a uh, very highly respected Republican legal uh, person. 
On the charge of obstruction of justice, Bob Mueller's report, quote, does not collude that the president committed a crime. Conclude. I'm sorry, excuse me. <laughs> does not <laughs> conclude that the president committed. I have collusion on the brain. Uh, on the charge of obstruction of justice, Bob Mueller's report does not conclude that the president committed a crime. That's an important finding because that's is what prosecutors do. They prosecute. They do not exonerate. Why? Because we all enjoy the presumption of innocence. There you go. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Hey, there you go. Way who, to go, Chris. Who, by the way, is no stranger to actively prosecuting people. He put Jared Kushner's father in jail. Yes. The, the it's president's son-in-law. It's, it's probably why uh, Chris Christie is not in the Trump administration. Right that now. is probably the case. But Christie has put people in jail for crimes before. And he is not a shrinking violet on legal issues. And that's a good point. President Trump enjoys the presumption of innocence. He may not be pure as the driven snow, but on the issues of obstruction and collusion, no collusion, no obstruction. We'll be back, folks, on Life, Family, Liberty. and observation there you go you may and, and you're not a a filthy news obsessed heathen like me um you may have not heard that president trump was relatively speaking uh, cleared of all charges of obstruction and collusion uh i want to read a sentence this this really is kind of remarkable a, a sentence from the report that president trump tweeted out he said the special counsel did not find that the Trump campaign or anyone associated with it conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in these efforts, despite multiple offers from Russian-affiliated individuals to assist the Trump campaign. Yeah. I mean, the special counsel's report is only like four pages long. Like, it's actually not a not that difficult to read if, if people want to. Now Move that's that's not the official that's not the full report that's the, the summary the summary from, of the report which is all we have right so. right but it is it is kind of shocking um, yeah that that is uh well I mean it's only shock eh, I wouldn't say it's shocking I think it's shocking if you've been buying the media narrative for two years yes but see that's the thing again to reframe the whole terms of the debate the investigation into collusion was not an investigation into well. Frankly, it wasn't an investigation into collusion writ large, as in any kind of communication with a Russian whatsoever. Even the fact that, like, uh, that Jared Kushner and some of the Trump kids met with that one Russian spy in Trump Tower, that's not even a smoking gun. Yep. She just said, I have some dirt on Hillary Clinton. Okay, sounds good. You can get dirt on an opposing candidate during a meeting in Trump Tower from a Russian even. That's literally what Hillary Clinton, not exactly, liter, not literally what Hillary Clinton did, but li Hillary Clinton hired a former British intelligence officer. A foreign national? Yes, a, for a former she British. Was, she was colluding with Britain? Yes. 
she, she hired a former British intelligence officer, uh, Christopher Steele, yeah, uh, to get a bunch of opposition research dirt on President Trump, uh, on then-candidate Trump. So it's okay to talk with foreign nationals to try to get dirt on another candidate. It's gross and sleazy, but it's not illegal. The focus of the investigation was Russians committed certain illegal acts of hacking Democratic servers, hacking Hillary Clinton's server, and leaking a bunch of emails illegally to WikiLeaks. Did President Trump know about, coordinate, or conspire to commit those crimes? It wasn't any talking with Russians. It wasn't any interaction with Russians. It was, did he specifically try to commit those specific illegal acts? That's what the investigation was. There was never any evidence to demonstrate he was doing that at the start of this whole thing, which is why I think launching a special counsel investigation wasn't actually warranted because there was no actual factual predicate established for it. I think it was just Rod Rosenstein trying to, you know, demonstrate to his swampy friends that, oh, see, I'm, I may be a Republican, but I'm an honest Republican. There was no factual predicate for the whole thing. So that's why it's not really all that... Sh I mean, this is actually kind of the... This is kind of the outcome I sort of expected throughout this whole process, just because there was never any evidence to begin with. The only thing they... They had all these allegations against President Trump of obstructing justice because he fired James Comey, but the president's allowed to fire people. Can and fire the president's people allowed for... to The president's allowed to... Shut down criminal investigations if he wants to. I mean, and which he did not do. Uh, so it, it just, I mean, I think, I think if you weren't engaged in hysterics and weren't watching MSNBC every day, the result probably, sh it, the result should have been less shocking than it is. But I think that's part of the problem, John. And, and this is something that I wanted to get to as tying it back into to everything that we normally talk about on this show. Um, and that is the fact that just because the media repeats something and repeats something over and over and over. I, I saw media analysis uh, just of CNN, and they said that in the last two and a half years, the word Russia or some variation of it has been used on CNN 16,000 times. Yeah. Um, just because the uh, – and that, that would be – I'm just doing like very – basic top of my head math let's say that it's you know two and a half years that's you know 30 months i mean you're you're looking at 500 times a month them using the word russia i yeah. mean just over and over all the time talking about it just because the media talks about something like that repeatedly and just because you even have people like the former director of the cia john brennan well I've, I believe me. I've got some secret insider information. I yeah. I know what's coming down the pike. <laughs> hey, do you know? Just, he, he, who who clearly never at any point in the process had any secret insider information. Nope. He was, was clearly just an angry old liberal man who didn't like President Trump and just started bloviating about how much he hated him and trying to indicate because he still has a security clearance that 
that, oh, I, I've got some dirt. And because he kept getting more and more attention, he kept doing more and more and more of it. Well, and the thing that really, John, is so disgusting, I, I hate to say it, but when you see the, the, the members of the intelligence community, former members of the intelligence community, that would go and they would, I, I saw someone point out that it was like they were wearing this cloak of respectability by using their reputation as former members of the CIA or the NSA or, or the, the FBI. FBI. And they're coming out here and they're, saying no i know the real scoop trust me trust me yeah and it's like no you 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 actually do not know what's going on and you've actually now and by because you have the security clearance you have this this air this this aura about you that oh maybe he knows maybe he knows the real scoop and it's it's so hilarious how the left always hated and was suspicious of the fbi the cia etc for for only for the last hundred years practically They've always been suspicious. And and frankly, intelligence agencies need to have a lot of public scrutiny on them because they do so much, you know, stuff in the dark. Uh, I mean, they need to have a lot of scrutiny. They need people to be pushing back against them. But because of how things were aligned politically, because of the fact that, frankly, the 90-something percent of all federal employees are super-duper liberal— and that includes FBI agents and CIA agents. Now, all of a sudden, there's this grand media, FBI, media, CIA alliance to sort of back each other up, to leak information to the media selectively. And as opposed to the media providing some check on the CIA or the FBI, now instead, the only person who's able to do who's giving any sort of check to them is the president, and a few politicians willing to support him in this. And people act like, oh, he's criticizing the FBI. How dare he? How dare he mistrust his intelligence officer? Like, sometimes groupthink is real. And sometimes you have institutions that are corrupt. And you have institutions that are politically, become politically oriented when they're not supposed to be. Like, it actually, I mean, the, and frankly, the FBI and CIA had a lot of people who were leaking information to the press as if they had a lot more on the president than they actually did and we now can see that a lot of them were full of bs and the president is enormously vindicated bologna sandwiches in case the bologna fcc sandwiches. is listening yep. that's right it's just, and no one likes a bologna sandwich no. I, I certainly not me folks when we come back i want to talk about again what does this mean more broadly to the media's trust level Uh, the trust level of experts as it relates to some of these other issues. We'll be back in just a minute on today's episode of Life, Family, Liberty. Also on Facebook, we if you're watching on Facebook, you may notice we have a new setup here because it is not our setup. It is the setup of Right to Life of Central California. There you go. good friend John Girardi graciously playing host to us. We have a... It's not that gracious. I just want to be able to get back to my desk and like... A little bit faster. One second rather than having to drive 15 minutes. Well, it's it's nice. We have a two iPad and one iPhone uh, 7 Plus setup for the cameras. So you can get you go. more of our faces in glorious high definition. Yes. I was also told that my daughters are watching the show. All right. And they really like it when I say WWW. So 
you want to learn more about Right to Life Essential California, go to www.righttolifeca.org or Perfect. check out Jonathan Keller's California Family Council website, www.californiafamily.org. Thank you. I appreciate that, John. And hello to Maddie and Sophia and also to Jack and Hudson, who I think Hudson is listening along with his mom on the home Amazon Echo. Ah, there so. you go. Just letting Jeff Bezos know about everything that's, you're doing in your that's house. That's right. I'm, I'm, and hey, Mr. Bezos, <laughs> Lord Bezos, I am reading your Washington Post um, because everyone knows, John, d- democracy buy guys. A cop- hey, Alexa, buy a copy of the Washington Post. Yeah. Buying the Washington Post. That's oh, right. Darn it. Oh, I, got the again. Whole, I got the whole newspaper. <laughs> uh, I want to read something from that great Washington Post, John. I, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just have to give you four key takeaways from the Mueller Report summary. Number one, no firm conclusion on obstruction of justice. Uh, (laughs) So this is one of my – so this is going to be a fun segment of us looking at media stories about the Mueller report and then breaking down sentence by sentence uh, all of the spin and bias in the supposedly neutral media accounts. Yes. Um, Clearly, the decision not to make any recommendations – is itself a kind of recommendation. Yes. Uh, it's a, quote, complicated question of law and fact based on mostly things that are in the public eye, according to the summary, uh, like President Trump's different media interviews and his actions as, as with firing James Comey. Uh, it's a pretty solid indication that obstruction of justice is not warranted here. So... And furthermore, what Mr. What Barr says in the report, he notes that, okay, it's hard to have an obstruction of justice charge if there isn't any evidence of an underlying crime. Like you, you, not that it's necessary, but it certainly really plays on the the mens rea that you're trying to prove that Trump is acting well, John, corruptly. What is that, what's that fancy Latin so word? So mens you rea used? means there's a certain mental state that you need to demonstrate in a person that you're prosecuting, and there are different kinds of mental states depending on the different sort of crime. To prove obstruction of justice, you have to prove that someone is corruptly trying to hinder an investigation, and you have to demonstrate that Trump had a corrupt state of mind. If there's no underlying crime, it's really hard to demonstrate that Trump was trying to act in a corrupt and law, you know, law hindering way when he fired James Comey. So there's actually very solid evidence that an obstruction of justice charge was not warranted. So, so I mean, the media narratives are, it's either a combination of ignorance and wanting to see the result you want to see. So they're trying to say, oh, it's very ambiguous. Well, no, no. it's not that ambiguous. But John, listen to the second key takeaway. Okay. Number two, no collusion, comma, officially. <laughs> what does that mean? What is the point of officially? Uh, like, there was just no collusion, period. Like, that yes. is the... I I don't know what officially is supposed to mean there. Like, officially there's no collusion, but we all know. Now, I will say this. This is the one good thing that they do say. To their credit, the Washington Post credit, they said, as opposed to the above, the thing on uh, obstruction, they said, this is something amounting to exoneration, rather than the say the report doesn't <laughs> make something. a determination. <laughs> it says in the nearly two-year investigation, it did not establish collusion. It also very notably concluded that the Trump campaign actually declined opportunities to collude when presented with them. 
that is something I, I do want to at least give them credit. Stop clock is right twice a day. There you go. You know, it is true that they at least are getting that correct. Yes. Way um, to go, Washington Post. Then they go on and they say number number three, uh, Attorney General William Barr personally doesn't see obstruction. Well, uh, the personally thrown in? Like, th- there's so many of these just little things. Weasel words. That get thrown in because everyone writing this is liberal. Yes. Everyone editing this is liberal. Uh, like... Uh, Clearly, uh, he doesn't personally see obstruction. Right. No, it's not a personal thing. It's in his it official is a, office. His official capacity as the Attorney General of the United States, in consultation with the uh, with well, the Deputy Attorney General, who had been overseeing this investigation for its entirety, they came to the conclusion that there isn't a sufficient basis to charge someone with obstruction of justice. Again, based in no small part on the fact that there wasn't any underlying crime that that they could provide any evidence of. So, John, I'm just relieved, though, because now this means you and I, when we are testifying in Sacramento or if we're working with people around the country, we can say, well, you know, Justice, former Supreme Court Justice Harry Blackman personally didn't think that the unborn <laughs> child deserved rights, but obviously that was... That was just his personal his opinion, personal opinion. That, he, that he happened to express in a controlling Supreme Court uh, decision. For yeah. the last 46 years. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the level of personal, to a certain degree, and this is something that I think... It, it's frustrating because it is very difficult. I will grant it is very difficult for individuals to separate their personal opinions from their duty as a constitutional officer. But when you're writing a letter to the leadership of the House and Senate Judiciary Committees, giving your determination on whether or not an obstruction charge is warranted, that's not your personal opinion. That is your official job duty you're not yes. signing it as bill barr good guy Unlike, you're signing it as bill barr the attorney general of the united states and this is why I, I i think this ties in so much because what this shows the bigger story from the russia investigation and we'll, we'll keep talking about this in our final segment when we come back but the bigger story john is i think that it really does kind of pull the mask off how much of journalism is really activism cloaked in uh, a respectable masthead. Well, even, I mean, the way people can seamlessly move from partisan liberal position, uh, partisan liberal jobs to allegedly nonpartisan media jobs. Like, George Stephanopoulos is the greatest example. Yes. George Stephanopoulos worked for the Clinton administration as a hack. I mean, he was every bit as much a media hack as James Carville was or Kellyanne Conway is. Like, he's yep. a hack. Like, yep. his job is to be a hack. And he seamlessly transitioned into being the anchor of a big ABC News show. Like, uh, lower-level examples from the Washington Post. Uh, You had Elizabeth Brunig, who was simultaneously speaking in favor of democratic socialism at speaking engagements and writing stuff on the side. She was working at the same time as an editor at the Washington Post and then became an op-ed columnist for the Washington Post, who frequently is... You know, supporting actively supporting socialism and and is a super big Bernie fan. Like the transition, the seamless transition that people think you can have between ultra left wing opinion giver and you know biased political hack to apparently now nonpartisan media person. It's remarkable, and I don't think they would ever accept that from the conservative side of things. No, in fact. 
there was something similar where someone at CNN actually had to be demoted because of her previous political uh, role. When we come back, final segment, we'll keep talking about this on today's episode of Life, Family, Liberty. Imagine that. Have a single issue for the biggest news story of the year that somehow consumes the entire show. There you go. Not surprising. Uh, We've been talking today about the Russia collusion story, the witch hunt, as President Trump has called it, which, as you said at the beginning, John, I I think it's fair to at least say not that uh, not that Robert Mueller himself was leading the witch hunt. He was fulfilling his appointed duties. But the whole way that this got started and the whole way that it was blown out of proportion by Democrats and both elected Democrats and Democrats in the media masquerading mm-hmm. as journalists mm-hmm. uh, is really remarkable. And I think it goes to show why so many conservatives have for so long felt that the media is unfair, that the media only tells one side of the story. Well, yeah, I mean... It- it kind of surround the media has this way of surrounding us like the very air we breathe as far as they set editors set the agenda of what is and what is not news and that's why you get things like uh, i mean there was ho- there were whole stories about new york's abortion law that uh, got a lot of play in conservative media and the liberal left-wing press basically completely shut it down. Ralph Northam's comments on abortion uh, were this huge story in most of conservative media land and most people on the left just kind of completely ignored it. Mainstream outlets just completely ignored it. Uh, There's just instance after instance after instance of the mainstream press burying stories, burying narratives, creating narratives, the idea of narrative construction, which is a huge deal within among editors and newspapers. Like this is if, and if the people doing all of those things all have the same political viewpoint, like, yeah, it's going to lead to some bad. And, and if those people with that same viewpoint control essentially all of the major outlets for news, then yeah, it's going to lead to some problematic things and it's going to lead to people thinking for two years that the president of the United States was a Russian mole when really there was absolutely no evidence of that. So it's or certainly no compelling evidence, no conclusive evidence, no evidence that would bring you certainly no evidence of the specific thing he was being accused of. So it, it's really a damaging thing, and I, I hope the media continues to take it on the chin, and I'm sure it won't lead to any self-reflection or reform, but maybe maybe it's a good idea to have like more than zero people in your newsroom <laughs> who have ever voted for a Republican. So, John, on that note, it, it, I'm glad you said that because there's a story that in 2014, Chris Eliza of the Washington Post wrote an article that said just 7% of journalists are Republicans. 
That's yep. far fewer than even a decade ago. Now he goes on and he, he breaks down this study <laughs> and he says it's a survey and he goes, okay, now look, to be fair, you know, most journalists, 50.2% identify as independent. See, that's, and that is the biggest hunk of, you know what, like <laughs> most people who identify as centrists are I'll say this: a hundred percent of people who identify as centrists are probably self-deluded. Like the vast majority of people who self-identify as centrists are actually pretty left-wing or pretty right-wing. They just don't want to admit to themselves what they actually are. Uh, most independents are either pretty conservative or pretty liberal. So, so let's even get and that. I and I think with people who identify as centrist overwhelmingly left-wing especially if you're in a newsroom yes but, but let's yes. put it this way john let's just say okay well let, let's say that those people who are independent are truly independent journalists you know those 50.2 percent uh no I, I i call balls and strikes i only call things as i see them i you know i take every issue on the merits and i i no respecter of parties okay fine okay just in terms of people that are formally identified 7.1 percent republican 28.1 percent democrat yes so just if in terms of the actual declared it is at least at minimum a four to one democrat versus republican right so john let me ask you if there are four times as many democrats as republicans how how do we think that affects the story selection how do we think that affects which assignments are given to which reporters right and who is going what, to be what avenues you're see this is the why so many people on the right don't trust the media as it relates to a lot of stories about President Obama that, I mean, look, I would imagine that there are instances in journalism where an enormous story falls into your lap and where you don't do much, but a source completely drops it into your lap and all you have to do is run with it and it wasn't a ton of hard work on your part. But like most successes in life, I think usually to break a huge controversial story that exposes someone doing bad things, it requires a lot of hard work and gumption and motivation to accomplish it. And I've, everyone on the right has this sense, and I think it's fair, that the media is far more motivated to find earth-shattering stories of Republicans doing bad things than of Democrats doing bad things. I mean, you can compare all kinds. I mean, why is, you know, John Kennedy has so much dirt from his private life and that no Lyndon one talks Johnson about. Too. Lyndon Johnson, similarly. Meanwhile, Richard Nixon comes into office, who is probably no more or less corrupt than any of those guys were. I mean, God knows Lyndon Johnson was a horrible person and yeah. probably had all kinds of dirt. He would make... Um, he would make President Trump blush, I think, with oh, his language yeah. and his personal oh, conduct. Yeah. Uh, but the media put their nose to the grindstone and discovered Watergate. And Watergate is seen as like the greatest moment in the history of uh, media. I, I, and, and I'll tell you, John, just a, a, a personal side note on that. I remember my, uh, my father actually got his degree, his uh, undergrad degree was in journalism. Mm -hmm. Now, why did he get his undergrad degree in journalism? He came from a reasonably conservative household growing up. I mean, Midwest, yeah. Kansas. I don't know if his parents were registered Democrat or Republican growing up, but they were generally pretty conservative and Republican, at least as long as I remember my grandma voting. But when my dad was at school at Kansas State University in the 70s, uh, it was cool to be a journalism major. 
because those were the people they were the the fighters for truth and justice in the american way and they they helped speak truth to power and they took down the president and there was such an effort of we are the we're the the we're great the superheroes. Yes. They they construct this narrative in their minds where they are the superheroes of their story. And my father-in-law, my father, if you've met him, he is not working in journalism <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh, he, but he, and he has never worked in journalism. But right. that was why he got his degree, and that was because there was such this aura of mystique and you know superhero yeah Yeah. there was prestige around being a journalist right and i think what this goes to show is that so basically you had the media willing to put their nose to the grindstone for two years to try to uncover any dirt about president trump that relates to russia and they were able to get a special counsel investigation of it but all you know but there are so many things about the obama administration that got no follow-up. Yep. What investigations happened into Operation Fast and Furious yep. by media outlets? Like, yes. what really deep, intense media scrutiny was placed upon that? What really deep, intense investigation was placed on Trump administration officials trying to spy on and get FISA warrants to spy on members of the Trump administration. Uh, and John, you know who I have During started, the 2016 campaign. You know who I have started to suspiciously see a lot more interviews with in the last two years? Monica Lewinsky. Yeah. Talking about the imbalance of power and the, the, um, the abuse of a powerful man taking advantage of a young a intern. 21 year old intern and yeah. they've been really powerful interviews they've been really well done uh, she's got a I, lot of very significant points to make she does about that whole thing and it was the kinds of things that i think some conservative points a lot of conservatives were making in 1998 that everyone on the left in their desire to defend president bush uh, president clinton yeah just swept under the rug so it's fascinating to me again how all of those points seem to be getting a lot of airtime now a lot right. of great interview pieces. Not so much during 2007-2008. Not very timely. Or 2015-2016 when uh, Hillary Clinton was in office. So, ah, yes. Oh, the yes, Hillary connection. Yes. Of course. Yes. So the, the, the thing that's... Convenient. So, uh, folks, we have not talked very much about life, family, and liberty on this show, but I, I do want to spend the last couple minutes here just plugging one thing quickly. If you're listening to the show... I want you to make sure that you are either in Sacramento in person or that you are watching live on Facebook this Thursday, the 28th. Thursday, the 28th, we're going to be there with informed parents of California. Um, We're going to be doing a rally, pushing back against the incredibly gross, comprehensive sex ed curriculum that is being pushed all across the country and especially in the state of California. Uh, This is, again, yet another example of what happens when you have one group of people, a powerful group of people that get to set the terms of the debate. They get to write the, literally write the curriculum. They write the narrative and then the media does not cover it. Even though the stuff that is in this curriculum is so scandalous that if John or I took a copy of the textbook and just started reading it out loud yeah, on, the on FCC, a playground. The FCC, or, oh, yeah, yeah. At a playground, we'd be arrested for yeah. like indecent exposure or something. Yeah. Or if we're reading it here on the air, yeah, the, it's possible that the uh, the FCC could, could find us. So that is what we're going to be talking about on Thursday. I encourage you, go to our website. You can find out more. Go to Facebook. You can find out more. And obviously, go to John's Facebook page or website as well. You can find out more. I'm Jonathan Keller. I'm John Girardi. Thanks for being with us. Happy No Collusion Day. (laughs) Uh, We will be talking a lot more about this and the media next week on another episode of Life, Family, Liberty. 